do research effectively when beginning to prototype a solution? How do you know you've done enough research to troubleshoot a problem? I'm Julia, one of the team members here at Blur, and this is In Focus, an audio series highlighting different aspects of manufacturing. Our goal for this series is to help you prepare your medical device for manufacturing, avoid common development pitfalls, and provide tips to build a successful business for your product. Today we're chatting with Erin, one of our R&D engineers, about her process of finding the best solution through rapid, iterative prototyping. Erin, thanks for being here with us today. Tell me what you do here. <laughs> um, I'm a research and development engineer here at Blur. Been here uh, a little over four years. And you started as an intern, right? Yeah, so not counting the summer I was an intern. Um, I guess that'd be like four and a quarter years then. Talk about sort of that research part of research and development and prototyping, because I know that's a lot of what you do here. Yeah, definitely. As a as an R&D engineer, a big part of my job is um, doing research, especially sort of on the um, the start of a project. You know, we'll come in, the client will have an idea for a concept, but there's a lot of research that has to be done to um, figure out what components you need and then source those components, um, sourcing materials, mm-hmm. finding people that can produce the parts we need. So uh, I do a lot of research in my day-to-day job. You're about to do some research. Where do you go first? Google? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, most of the time Google. I, I try to start out with a broad search, like cast a wide net and just see, you know, what keywords I see popping up a lot and, and use that to sort of modify my search. And then seeking out experts, whether that's someone at Blur or someone out in the field for their help. And then I I also try to just keep a log of every company I've contacted, person I've contacted, um, sort of what suggestions or notes come out of come out of that conversation. Um, that way I just have a log of everything I've done if I have to go back to that research mm-hmm. or if someone else at Blur is researching a similar part or concept, mm-hmm. I can go. Uh, point them to that. It's, it's great that everybody seems to be creating these kind of libraries that you can use as a reference so that you're not recreating the will every time. Definitely. And I think it shows just how collaborative we are too. The resources that we find or the processes that we use, it's not just about us and getting our work done. It's about, okay, I did this. I found this useful. Let's keep it so that someone else can use it because I know someone else is going <laughs> to run into this problem at some yeah. point. <laughs> Another project is going to need a camera. And so we might as well compile all the cameras we've used so we don't have to repeat that work when the next project comes along. Yeah, exactly. Do you ever have times where you're having trouble finding data? Um, just all together, you can't find um, any information. And then how do you handle that? Yeah, we definitely run into that more often than we'd like. I think that's sort of where the, the testing and prototyping comes in. So for instance, if we're looking for like a certain material property that we can't find, well, then can we just get the material in and, you know, prototype something ourselves? Is there like a simulation we can run with some CAD software and uh, find a similar material and see if that you know gets us close enough. If and if we can have a simulation and then like a a test that both point sort of towards the same answer, then maybe that takes the place of whatever online answer we're looking for. Like, how often would you say that we run simulations here to help in that research process? Yeah, I mean, I say we do it on almost every project, whether it's like a finite element analysis or a flow simulation. We, I feel like I've done that with a lot of the projects I've worked on. And then we're always, you know, 3D printing components of a device and, and testing those 
you know, before we're going to full-scale production. Mm -hmm. What would you say in your research process, what's the most challenging part and what do you find the most rewarding? Yeah, I'd say the most challenging parts of the research process are one, if it's like a really specialized component and there's not a lot of people who who make it or know a lot about it, you're really relying on people to like respond to your cold calls and emails. Mm. So that can be challenging sometimes. And then I'd say the other big challenge is just when a part has a lot of requirements. So like it needs to be low cost, high lead time, mm-hmm. um, really durable. And, you know, juggling all of those different requirements can be a challenge. Or if you've thought you found one part that'll work and then a new requirement gets added and you kind of have to go back to your spreadsheet that you're keeping of all your options and and reevaluate that. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you manage that with a client? So, you know, they're adding new requirements and how are you able to manage with them? Okay, this new requirement means this extra time or this extra mm-hmm. cost or... Yeah, I think that's you really just have to be transparent with that and be like, we can, you know, switch to this part. That's not a problem, but that may mean that the lead time changes, the overall cost of the device changes. If you're switching from a smaller part to a bigger part, then that housing that it lives in will probably have to change. And that part's now going to get more expensive. So just understanding how changing one thing can sort of have a ripple effect is important to make sure the client understands as well. Yeah, I think that is a super important part of presenting anything like that to a client is having all those details worked out. So mm-hmm. not just saying, mm, we can't do that. If we do that, here's what's going to happen. Right. And then letting them make the decision because at the end of the day, it's their decision to make. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't mind that it's going to cost more and they really want that specific part or use right. that specific process, but definitely, definitely making sure you're getting them all the, all the information that they need to make that decision. Yeah, really agree. When you're first starting to prototype with a new client, what are your go-to initial questions just to kind of get the ball rolling? Yeah. So when we kick off a design, the thing that I care about most is the, what function it needs to serve. So I'm not as concerned about like the overall size it needs to fit within, or if it has to meet all these certifications. So I'm most concerned with function at first. And then after we you know, have an initial design of that, the next things I'll look at are the material that it should be made out of what uh, quantity we're looking at. So if you only need three for some demos, then we'll probably 3D print it. If you need like a thousand, we're going to be injection molding it. And then past that, it's good to look at usability. So does it need to have a handle? Does it mm-hmm. um, now have to fit inside this other part? Mm-hmm. Um, what what constraints does that mean? And then also being aware of you know color. Does it need to be transparent? Does it need to be waterproof, biocompatible, food safe, all of that? Um, those are all important to know, but they're not the first things I worry about when starting a design. Yeah. How do you know or make a decision that, okay, I have done enough research to confidently go with this solution to the problem that I'm experiencing in right. this design? It depends on the test. Um, a lot of times your a test is targeting like a specific function, if it's usability or waterproofing. Um, and so typically there's sort of a, a sequence of tests. So I'll start small, like if it's a how two parts interface, I'll just prototype 3D print those two parts, um, just crop to where that interface is. And then once I have that working, I'll print the full size parts, make sure that works, uh, share it with the client and have the users handle it and make sure they don't have any complaints. And then past that, you know, what are the differences between the part you've prototyped and the uh, production part is 
you know, if one's 3D printed and one's injection molded, is there going to be any difference between them that mm. would cause it not to, you know, seal properly or be waterproof? Um, and making sure you're confident that despite those changes, the design you have will will still work. I think that's when you can check that box that the, the testing's passed. Yeah. Getting it, getting prototypes in the hands of users is so important because mm -hmm. <laughs> as we have experienced many times, they will give you feedback that you maybe haven't even thought about. Thought of. Yeah. The earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. For sure. So you've been at Blur for four and a quarter years. Mm -hmm. What's something you wish you would have known your first year that you could uh, advise others? Mm -hmm. I'd say just like not being afraid to ask people questions. Everyone at Blur is so smart and capable. So like if you get stuck and you can't solve a problem, don't spend time just noodling away on it yourself. Like go take a walk around the office and bounce some ideas around with people because someone's going to have an answer and it's going <laughs> to be a lot quicker than if you were just to sit there alone in your corner of the office. Yeah. Muddling through it on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. What was the most intimidating part of our machine shop that we have in the back? When you first started, what was what was the most intimidating thing back there for you? Yeah, it's not really exactly part of the machine shop, but the casting molding station was really intimidating at first, just because there were so many components and steps to the process. You know, I was so worried about messing things up. You had to like measure stuff initially, make sure you had the A and, and B components mm. um, at their correct ratios, and then degas it and pour it into the mold, make sure there aren't any bubbles, and then put it in this pressure pod and make sure that's all sealed correctly, which always freaked me out. And then <laughs> you just have to wait a couple hours until it finishes molding. So you don't know if you've failed or not until you <laughs> take it out all those hours later. Were there ever times where, well, I'm sure there were times when you took it out and you're like, ah. Thing. Yeah, like <laughs> last month. <laughs> I had a part that I thought didn't need mold release, um, which helps it like come out of the mold easily. Oh, no. And so I went to take it apart and it just like didn't move. And I was like trying to use all these tools to pry it open and it was just chipping away the tools. And um, so I just had to throw it away and start over. And I used mold release and then the second one worked. As you're prototyping and, you know, testing and doing all those things, what other parts of our lab do you use most frequently? I use a 3D printer probably the most. Right now it's like every single day. So I'm kind of hogging it, but the the laser uh, cutter I use fairly often. That's really handy. You have larger assemblies that you need to build really fast. Mm -hmm. I work a lot with the UV cure adhesives. So I'm using our UV light pens pretty often. Those allow you to bond two things together really quickly and we have a whole bunch of different UV adhesives for different materials. I don't venture into the the machine shop with all the blades too often. <laughs> when I first started I was using I can't remember what it was like a circular saw and I didn't realize that there was a safety on so I like revved it and oh. Jeff was right next to me and I think I really freaked him out and he was like I'll do this actually and I was like yeah that's probably a good idea. <laughs> One part that took a lot of testing and troubleshooting and iterating on was um, we had these two components that had to interface and seal in two different chambers. Mm -hmm. And we wanted that to be done with a single connection so that the user just had, you know, one one piece they had to connect. Mm -hmm. So we looked at a couple different ways of doing that, either like a press fit or a snap fit, a press fit that's just plastic on plastic or silicone on plastic. And so I did a lot of prototyping back in the lab. I would just 
print those two parts on our 3D printers um, and really just segments of the parts to speed up the, the prints and save us some, some money as well. And so I just print a bunch of different interfaces and test how well they sealed. And then the silicone on plastic interfaces, I would just mold, over mold the plastic with uh, one of our silicones that we have back in the lab, test those as well. And we narrowed it down to three different options. Uh, we're working on getting each of those designs printed. Sorry, we, we're working on getting each of those full size um, parts printed, mm -hmm. and then we're going to send those out to the client um, so they can evaluate each of the three designs and see if there's one they um, really like, or you know, if they like all three, then we'll uh, bring them to the users and see if there's a favorite among the users. Um, if there's not a favorite among the users, then we'll just pick the one that that we like the best and think will be the easiest to manufacture. So that's been a lot of um, a lot of iterating on a lot of time with the mm. 3D printers in our molding station, which has been fun. Yeah. The benefit too of having this in-house prototyping capability is we can come up with a lot of ideas for how to mm -hmm. do things. Like you were just saying, you made so many, how many prototypes do you think you made of oh my that? God, there's like a hundred <laughs> different pieces on my desk right now. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. So all of these different ideas for how these two parts can fit together, but by you know, being able to do this in-house and fairly quickly, we can sort of throw out the ones that don't work. Yeah. And they're, I mean, each part is only like an inch big since I'm just cropping it to that interface. So it's really not wasting um, too much material or time to, to get those printed. How long would you say it took you from the time that you started 3D printing these up until you sort of had the three core? When I am working on it, I'll you know, print a couple designs one afternoon and then the next morning, test them, mm -hmm. figure out what I don't like about each design, make those changes, and then get them back on that printer that afternoon. So the iteration cycle is pretty quick. Thanks for coming on, Erin, and yeah. chatting with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening in today. This is In Focus, signing out. <laughs>